Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Well, guess what? I want to talk to you this morning about craving the presence of the Lord. You can be seated this morning. When you get there, you can remain standing if you'd like to. If you get there, you can turn to the Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 2. Praise the Lord. Well, it's just awesome to see the house so full. I know the holidays are busy. We do have some people traveling. We've got different things that are going on. But it's wonderful to see all these faces. Brother and Sister Gerbing, we are dearly going to miss you. And I appreciate it so much. And I want to say thank you in front of all of these people for every Bible study that you've ever taught, for every soul that you brought to the Lord, for every study that you gave here, every, every time you taught at this pulpit and the great enrichment that you gave this church and this community. And you are going to be dearly missed. But we love you and we appreciate you so much. And we're glad you're here with us. Just one more service. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1, says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men, everybody say wise men, from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. Isn't it neat? We've got that little star shining up there. We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. They didn't come out of inquiry. They didn't come out of curiosity. They didn't come just out of the direction of Herod. They came to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, and thus it is written by the prophet, if we jump down to verse 7, it says, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, somehow he found out about this, somehow he got word. Maybe they stopped in and checked in. Hey, we're in your country now, and we just were heading to go see somebody. He called the wise men, inquired them diligently, what time the star appeared. Herod was scared. He knew the story. He knew what was coming. He knew that his power and his reign was about to end. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. That was a lie. He wanted to know where he was because he wanted to kill him. When they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped them. Him. They were kings. They were the magi. They were powerful and popular. They were great men. And they fell down at the cradle of an infant child and fell at his feet and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. You can be seated this morning. You've all heard that passage hundreds of times. 
But I want to tell you that these men, these great men that were called, the Spirit, God uttering them, this, this call that they had to come and find this King, find this Savior, to find this one, they were craving the presence of the Holy One of Israel. They wanted to be there. They sought him out. They were diverted out by Herod and they were given this sort of phony mission. Go and find him so I can worship him. That's not what they were about and they didn't care anything about what Herod wanted, especially when the angel spoke to them. They already knew what Herod's plot was, I believe. They didn't care anything about that. All they cared about was getting to that place where the star led them, that stable as it were. They cared about getting into the place where the presence of God was, where the Savior was, the newborn king lay, so that they could simply walk into his presence and fall down. You imagine the indignity of these three wise men, these three kings of the east, the indignity of them bowing down to someone else. An adult for, for, would, would be extraordinary but much less a child in a manger who are surrounded by animals and straw and feed. This is how much they craved his presence. There was something profoundly founded in mankind at that moment, and those three were the first ones to get it. And they come into his presence. I'm certainly dressed in some form of royal traveling garb and all this stuff, but they already had the gifts. You see, they didn't stop off at the Jerusalem gift shop. They weren't over at the airport checking out the, the sundries and saying, whoa, they've got gold and frankincense and, well, there's some myrrh here too. Let's go ahead and get that because we should come. Those things were in their possession for the king. They were craving his presence. They wanted to worship him. What would it be like if that worship music, that great practice music that I heard this morning when I entered the church and as people began to enter the sanctuary and come down into this presence, into the holy of holy, and we got to this place and recognized that the spirit is so important, it's so powerful, that we simply just fall to our knees and begin to worship God because his presence is here. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. We've got to learn to crave his presence that way. Christmas time, of course, was just the first time when wise men sought him. The first time, the example that we're given. We should have such a hunger. We should have such a craving, folks, especially now in a world that we traverse out there that's so, so corrupt and, and so challenging. And we, we see all of this, these terrible things that are going on around us. There's beauty in the world. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's not all negative. I don't want to bring everybody down. Uh, there's wonderful things happening in the world. And there's still kindnesses. And there's still great things. Mankind is, a, is, is doing wonderful things through the abilities that God gave us. And, and new discoveries and new developments and new things that they're doing. There's still kindnesses happening in the world. But the grand scheme of things is darkness. And we have the opportunity to stay step out of that world and come through those two doors and experience the presence of the only true savior and king. It's time that we begin to crave that because I'll tell you what, if we took it away like we did in March of 2020, we took it away and said, the doors are shut, you can't come back. You can never come back. I guarantee you, you'll begin to crave his presence. I guarantee that you'll want to be in a place like this with that beautiful worship that we just heard. Because I remember in March of 2020 when people said, I can't wait to get back. I can't wait to get back, Pastor. I want to come to church. We had people coming from other denominal faiths who said, my pastor won't open the doors. We're coming to your church. Yeah. 
craving the presence of God. And I use the word craving because I mean it. I want the profundity of that word to sink in. It shouldn't be we like the presence of God. Well, it's pretty good to be in the presence of God. We, we're, we kind of enjoy the presence of God. I want to crave the presence of God deep down inside that desire for whatever's going on, whether it's a ladies' tea and cookie sharing, whether it's some night out with the ladies at something, some guy's event. We had breakfast yesterday. Presence, craving the presence of God. Our relation to God's presence has been significant and powerful from the very beginning. God wanted a central place where we could gather. You understand that? For those people that watch online, I'm glad you're watching online. You're too far away. You can't get here. Maybe you're concerned about sickness and COVID and all that. That's great. There's people that need to do that. But I want to say right now, if there's people that sit home and they're watching online for a convenience purpose, just because it's convenient, you are a consumer Christian. God did not call us to be consumers. He called us to be ministers of his grace. And everyone that's in this room this morning, whether you know it or not, we're ministering to one another, praying with one another, lifting up hands. Your voice added to my voice created an atmosphere and God began to move in this place and he's moving right now. I told the, 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 the leadership team in Huddle this morning, I said, I could preach 10,000 messages from the word of God and it wouldn't equal one minute of God's powerful presence moving back and forth across this place. Miracles happen in the presence of God. Callings happen in the presence of God. In Exodus chapter 25 and 8, God called out and he said, and let them make a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. He didn't say make a church so that people can come and give their offerings and gather together and socialize. He said make them a sanctuary, sanctuary meaning a safe place, a place where I can dwell among them. That's the purpose of the church. Pastor, I felt the the Lord in my living room watching online. Okay, I understand that. But God didn't say create for you yourself a living room with an electronic device that I can dwell among you. He said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And they did that. They created a moving mobile sanctuary that traveled with them. Later, that sanctuary became the temple at Jerusalem. God spoke through Jeremiah the prophet the value of his presence in 29 and 13 when he said, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me. How? With all of your heart. All of your heart. We've got to give him our whole heart, our whole selves when we come into the presence of God. David exemplifies this this very deep desire that, that we should have for God's presence. In Psalm 84 and 2, he says it this way, my soul longeth. That's that where I get that word craving. It's the same thing. My soul longs, desperately desires, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You understand what he's saying there? He's saying, I crave the presence of God. I crave to be in that sanctuary, the courts of the Lord. Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. We're further admonished in the Psalms for what we should do and to seek and enjoy his presence. Look at 95 and 2. He says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and do what? Make a joyful noise with him in Psalms. I feel for, for faith organizations who through tradition and some unknown reason have defined worship as this so slow, soft, quiet muttering 
barely audible in some cases, or some, some melodic tone that's just simply repeated out of a book. When we can stand up here, Brother Rob, just following the Spirit of God, thank you, being sensitive to what God is saying, and as we worship through those lyrics, we worship through the meaning of those words. In Psalm 102, he said, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with what? With singing. Those are the signs of a, of a church family, a body, a, 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 a group of believers that crave his presence. The book of James makes it very simple. He says in, in the book of James chapter 4, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh unto you. He says it's a promise that he's made. You simply come. He's coming. Let's look further, Matthew 18 and 20. This is Jesus talking. He promised his disciples in verse 20. He said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of thee. Do you understand? We've quoted that millions of times. We say it all the time. Where two or three are gathered, two or three are gathered. That's great. Do we understand the significance and the power and the craving that we should have that when we gather two or three of us together, he's there. The king is there. If we gather in his name, yesterday morning we had men's group. Brother Bill got us together at the Lumber Inn in Delafield. We had a great group of people. There was camaraderie. There was smiling and laughter. We were glad to see Brother Marty back from his trip safely. Uh, the, the king was there. His presence was there. There was joy and enjoyment in that fellowship with those brothers. But why is it so crucial why is it so critical? What if we're just faithful people and we read and we do our work, we put our, our, our money in the, altar, in, in the bucket and, and, and we give some stuff to Salvation Army and we do good things out there? Why is it so crucial that we understand this, this craving of the present? Psalm 16 and 11 says, Thou wilt show me thy path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At the right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Incredible promises your call and your purpose, complete joy and pleasures forevermore. We've got to crave his presence because he's laying out our path. He clearly says the path of life. Where am I going? What's my purpose? Which way am I going? I don't know what to do next. I don't know where this is happening. Life isn't changing. Get into the presence of God and begin to listen and hear. Brother Justin said it very well this morning. You're not gonna be lifting big weights real early on in the process. I love that analogy, Justin, because you, what you were saying essentially was you keep after it and you keep after it and you'll start to hear the voice of God and you practice that faith and you practice craving that presence and God will begin to speak to you and he'll lay the path of life out before you and then by the way, there's fullness of joy. That means more joy than you can possibly contain. What an awesome present, uh, excuse me, promise that is. In Psalm 140 and 13, David shows the importance of living right when he speaks to God. He says, the upright shall dwell in thy presence. Well, that's a pretty good clue as to way we can make sure to be able to continue to enjoy his presence. In 91 and 1, he says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Again, we've quoted that many times. You ever dive into what that means? What in the world's a secret place? What is the shadow of the Almighty? When you dwell in the secret place, it means you live there. It means you're always wanting to be there. When you, when you, you have your home you live in, right? 
And you, you come and you go. How many of you can't wait at the end of the workday to get back home? Oh, I just got to get back home. I want to go home. When you dwell in the secret place, you live there. You want to return. You got to go out sometimes, but you want to come back. That's where safety is. That's where promise is. That's where peace is. You want to go back home. He, David is saying, I dwell in the secret place. And it's not just a stop in once in a while, but dwelling there means a common inhabitant. The secret place is referring to that holy place as in the old temple. You know, I, 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 I hesitate a bit to say this, but it's true. There's lots of people who come through those doors and they never find the secret place. They never find the holy place. Church is routine. Church is nice and it's, in, it's encouraging and I have friends there and that's all wonderful, but that's foundational in your relationship with God. But if you've lived like that, in the past, you know what I'm talking about. Getting to the secret place is what I was talking about down here. There's a holy of holy place. It was a place that only one man, the priest, could enter into in Jerusalem. It was covered by a gigantic curtain as wide as a man's hand and 60 feet tall. And he had to crawl on his hands and knees to get under it, to get into the presence of God. One person was allowed to do that once a year. And I'm telling you, folks, that that secret place is standing before you. It was here today. It's here right now. And at the time of this altar call, that secret place is open to you. David knew what it meant and he dwelled there. He goes on to say, and shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He'll shield you. He'll cover you. It's no difference, and there's there's analogy in scripture, than than a mother hen who tucks her chicks under her wing and protects them from the elements and from predators and from the danger of wandering away. If you dwell in this secret place, you will abide or live under the shadow, the wing of the Almighty God. In Psalm 22 and 3, it tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. I've said it before, and we quote it constantly. But do we understand the meaning of that? We stand together here in the house. Or Yes, it can happen in your home. Yes, it can happen in other places. But there's just something special and powerful when you're in that sanctuary that God told us to build. And we gather together and we worship. God abides and inhabits. That means he lives in your praises. In his presence. James tells us that if we're humble in God's presence, there's a promise. He says in 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. That word sight means his presence. He wouldn't see you if you were in his presence. In the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Are you struggling with something today? Are you dealing with challenge? Are you, are you struggling through life's issues, trying to work it out yourself in your own mind? Or are you prepared to go to the Lord and stand in his presence and let him begin to bring that joy in that direction, that path that David talked about? Are you prepared to humble yourselves? You know, all that simply means is, is just cast off all the airs. Cast off all the other nonsense and your knowledge and your, and your brilliance and everything you know about life. Just be willing to cast that off for just a moment and stand in the presence of God and say, God, I got nothing. I don't know what to do next, but I'm here to worship you. I'm here for you. And that's when God begins to work in your life. The problems the world can't solve. The challenges that you can't overcome. Do you believe in your hearts, folks? Our message to the world is hope, is it not? 
Our message to the world is the repairing of the broken heart, the repairing of the mind, the repairing of broken emotions, broken relationships. It's hope that we're delivering. Do you believe in your heart of hearts? Can you look at someone and with utter confidence say, listen, in my experience, in my testimony, God heals these things. God repairs broken hearts. God repairs broken minds. God can do it for you because he did it for me or this person or that person. Is it part of who we are? Hebrews 4 and 16, Paul tells us that, that, he says, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that why we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Coming boldly before the throne of grace. God doesn't ask us to crawl in underneath this door like he did with the priest of old. He doesn't ask us to sort of worm our way into his presence. He says boldly come before the throne of grace that we can obtain mercy. We need mercy. I need mercy. There's a lot going on out there and merciful Father, help me through some of the challenges of life. I need that mercy. But sometimes I need that help in a time of need. And it's right here in his presence And sometimes we discard that. We just discount that. Because as human beings, especially males, men, you can relate to me now, we're fixers. The problem's presented for us. I'm the hunter-gatherer. I'm the the provider for the family. I'm the one that has to bring the solutions, and so I'm going to fix it, and I'm going to show how it's done, and I'm going to read a book or get a YouTube video, or I'm going to figure how this works out, and you spin, and you spin, and you spin, and you drive yourself and your wife crazy, or your girlfriend, or whoever, and and you're going nuts trying to work this thing out, and when you finally stand before the throne of grace, and you just drop all of those airs, and you let all that stuff go and say, God, I'm out of gas. I got nothing left. It's all you. I don't care anymore. I just can't do it. That's when he moves. That's when the answers begin to come. And I can give you 10,000 testimonies of my own personal life. He always begins to move when we throw all that other stuff aside and say, here, God, just, just take it. Put me in a cardboard box. Do so. I don't care anymore. It's all you. David understood that God's presence is a place of blessing. He counted it a joy to experience God's presence. It wasn't mundane to him. This wasn't just sort of a routine thing. In other words, in an environment like this, after altar call, David would be the guy walking out out of the building, going to his car, going, wow, that was awesome. Man, church was great today. I can't wait to tell my neighbor. Man, this was great. This was excellent. I came in feeling so low. I was challenged with this issue. I sought God at the altar, and oh my goodness, my heart's full of joy. I forgot about all the friends I've got here. I forgot about the mercy of God. I'm feeling great. That's David. He's actually quoted in Acts 2 and 28. I've got the ESV version. It says, you have made known to me the paths of life. It's quoting from his psalm. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Gladness overcomes a lot of issues, folks. Joy is your strength. The enemy wants to sap that from you, wants to take that joy out of your hands because he knows, the enemy knows that the joy of the Lord is what makes you strong to endure the day. It's what makes you strong to get out of bed on Sunday morning and get in here and get into the presence of God. And remember that there's value to this presence. It's joy and confidence and mercy and those wonderful things that energize you to get back into the presence of God. David understood it so well, oh my goodness. 
But look at how Peter describes that God's presence as a source of blessing for everyone who gives their lives to him. In Acts 3.19, he says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from what? The presence of the Lord. What a promise. You see, we're in this flesh battle that we live in every day. This flesh battle that we're fighting against, our spirit fights against it. Our flesh wants to stay in bed on Sunday morning, wants to go home and eat dinner on Wednesday night, wants to not show up for these special events, wants to, wants to kind of write them off as routine and mundane. It's our flesh that's convinced us that the presence of God is so readily available, it's such a commodity that's so cheap and easily acquired that it just shouldn't be craved. It's got no real value to it. Oh, if I want the presence of God, there's 130,000 churches in the, in the tri-state area. I could drive to any one of them. Come on, it's our flesh that has taken the presence of God and devalued it to a place like, well, when, it's, when I'm ready, I'll go ahead and get a piece. God's my Santa Claus, you know, and so when I need it, I'll just go ahead and, and, and I'll pull the plug. I'll go up to the vending machine, put my quarters in, and there's the presence of God. And what I'm here this morning to tell you is we've got to stop looking like that. We've got to come against that type of thing in our flesh and decide that we need to crave the presence of God because it's that important to our souls. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples were in the upper room in Jerusalem in the temple. They were instructed to go there. Jesus promised them that power from on high, that dunamis power. Remember, I've explained that multiple times, that explosive power, the the power that's defined as the Holy Ghost. They knew that he was returning. He said, I will come back to you in the form of a comforter. I heard somebody recently say, God must want us uncomfortable because he said he's coming back as the comforter. So We don't need a comforter if we're not uncomfortable. I've said before from this pulpit, it's not my job to make you comfortable, it's my job to make you welcome. And sometimes these things that come out of this little black book that get preached to me too are a little bit uncomfortable. But they understood that the Holy Ghost was coming. They understood to some level that there was something powerful that was going to happen. Well, what, was, what he was talking about was the return of his presence in the form of the Holy Ghost. There was going to be a powerful explosion of his presence. And they had no idea of the depth of what was about to happen. So they're sitting there in Jerusalem, praying, seeking God's presence, whatever's going to happen. They desperately wanted the promise of this presence that he promised them. They wanted to know. They asked them late in the game, tell us about the coming of the kingdom. They didn't quite get the whole thing yet. And they were waiting for that Holy Ghost and that power as he promised in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 2, and starting at verse 1, you know this very well. It says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord. Where? In one place, not 17 different living rooms. Welcome, not comfortable. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You can stand with me this morning. You've heard that scripture repeated multiple times. 
But what we're talking about is a group of people that had just spent their time following Christ, misunderstanding some things, getting revelation on some things. A group of people with good intentions following this word. They had sacrificed a lot. Folks, come on, who's preaching with me? You've sacrificed a lot. You've sacrificed those friends that don't understand what what, what your religion thing is about. The people that want you to keep going out with them and doing the things of the world that you used to do. You've sacrificed things to be in the presence of God. They were there. They gave it all up. There was a promise that they were waiting for. It was a promise of a phenomenal presence of God that was going to bring calling. It was going to bring healing. It was going to bring miracles. And they were just getting started. The explosion was about to come. What if every service from this day forward was a day of Pentecost. What could we do to this world? See, when they sat in that room and the cloven tongues of fire came and they began to speak in other tongues, the Spirit gave utterance. There was a cacophony of sound. There was an explosive sound that was moving through the temple. There were thousands of Jews surrounding the temple at this time because it was the day of Pentecost. It was a time when they went back to Jerusalem to to do their duties and do their ceremony and worship God at the temple. But something different and powerful was happening in this house versus all the other houses of worship. Something was going on here that was incredibly important. And that sound raised up and there was a presence of God like they'd never felt before. And because of what they did and the word that Peter preached, 3,000 souls were saved that day. They turned the world upside down, Paul says later in the book of Acts. Their, their doctrine was surrounding, was passing through the world. They were making a difference in their world. And what I'm telling you today is if we treat it every day like Pentecost, we are, after all, Pentecostals. Am I right about that? Did, did we change designation anytime recently? I haven't filled out any new cards or signed any new documents that I'm aware of. We're Pentecostals. We crave the presence of God. And we crave it on our behalf, on the, on the behalf of those that are broken and hurting and need him. Folks, it's not about us anymore. If you're at home watching out of convenience, you're, you're a consumer Christian. You are no longer a disciple. If you're coming conveniently at your own schedule simply because that's just the way it works and you've turned the presence of God into a dime store commodity that you can pick up any day, you've lost what it is to be a Pentecostal. But if you're here this morning because you crave the presence and you wanted to feel what we felt this morning and you want to come down to this altar and seek God, you want a call in your life, you want a miracle to happen in your life, you want to see what God has for you to do to minister to someone else, then you're a Pentecostal. Craving his presence. Miracles and signs and wonders were wrought in the presence of God from that day forward. The greatest soul-saving movement ever known was inaugurated because there was a group of true Christian people who craved the presence of God so much that they tarried in a room and just prayed without a clue what was about to happen. What if every Sunday was a day of Pentecost 
and we came here craving the presence of God. If every soul from the front pew to the back pew, from side to side, was willing to say, sing and worship as loud as the people in the front, what if, what if everyone came and were ready at the time of the altar call to say, yes, I want to stand in the presence of God. I need a call. I need a miracle. I've got someone who needs a healing. I've got someone I'm witnessing to. I want to crave the presence on their behalf. If every day was Pentecost, we'd pack this place out in a heartbeat. We would affect Economoc and Delfield, Dousman, and all the rest of the communities around us. Folks, it's time that we crave the presence like never before. I love the presence of God so much because so many miracles have been wrought. God has done so many amazing, incredible things just basking in his presence. There's been times when grace was being poured out on me that I didn't deserve, that caused me to barely be able to stand on my feet. I'm not worthy of it. I have no right to it. But a gracious Savior and a gracious God said, come on down. The altar's open this morning. Come and enjoy the powerful presence of God. Renew the value that you have for the presence of the King. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.